It's the 27th of July in the year of our salvation, 2007, and this is Father Zed and another podcast. Today we welcome back our frequent guest, St. Augustine of Hippo, the great doctor of grace from North Africa. He died in 430. And uh, we'll dig into the pro-multis issue, the whole thing about for you and for all, or for you and for many in the consecration of the precious blood. And uh, to drill down into that question, we'll hear from Joseph Ratzinger, now presently reigning gloriously as Pope Benedict XVI, and we'll also hear from the Catechism of the Council of Trent. Today's second reading in the Office of Readings is from Book 10 of Augustine's Confessions. In order to gain more from these readings, we really have to consider them in their context. And so we should look at Book 10 a moment. Uh, The reading that we have today is from uh, Book 10, paragraph 43, numbers 68 to 70. Now, if you just look at that on the page in in the breviary, you might not realize that this is at the very end of Book 10. And books 1 to 10 of the Confessions actually constitute a unit. Uh, After this, uh, books uh, 11 uh, to 13, uh, Augustine is going to really shift gears. But in this whole section from book 1 to 10, we have very much uh, the ascent of of Augustine uh, to God. And uh, you can see what he does in tying this together. We'll get to that in just a moment. But right now, uh, we're in Book 10. And Augustine, in this section, the very end, is talking about the verax mediator, the true mediator. And he contrasts, he uses this word verax to contrast it with a false mediator, the phallox mediator. Now, it's very important to understand when you're reading Augustine that he'll use this adjective, this very important adjective, verus, in this case, he's talking about verox, but verus, or vera, or verum, depending on uh, what word it's paired up with, uh, to point out when something is true instead of something that's only apparently true, or when something is authentically Christian, to distinguish it from something similar in pagan culture, but which isn't really true. For example, when Augustine considers the philosophical teachings of the Platonists, uh, he talks about the vera philosophia, which is Christian. Now, the other key term here is mediator, mediator. And Augustine very often in his works cites 1 Timothy 2 to f- verse 5, 2 verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator of God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This is all important, all important citation for Augustine. Uh, there's uh, rhetorical language in the section too, and of course this is no surprise coming from a highly trained classical orator, but there are key terms in here. In the Latin, 
uh, you hear them more clearly. In Latin, for example, in the reading today, we have demonstrasti. It's a syncopated form. It's really, it's a perfect form, demonstravisti, but sometimes they cut out a syllable just to make it, you know, flow a little bit better. Demonstrasti instead of demonstravisti. And demonstro is to prove conclusively by evidence. Right, as if you're in a in a trial or you're you're uh, you know arguing something, you want to present your proofs. So to demonstrate something is to to uh, to co- prove conclusively by evidence. Well, then right after this, then uh, Christ is offered as an example, and exempla are the proofs that he's trying to demonstrate. You see, and right now Augustine is talking about the example of Christ's humility. And the idea here is that that this humility of Christ is the proof that we need that uh, that uh, what this mediator, the true mediator, is doing is completely different from any anything that a false mediator can offer. With the true mediator, all of the old proofs that one might look at are really no longer are no longer conclusive. They, they've passed away. They're absolutely false. Now we have conclusive proof. Uh, that Christ, who is humble, uh, so humble that he submitted to uh, a horrible death, is the true mediator. And because he could die, we have a proof of the incarnation. And in all of Augustine's work, uh, just about the key to understand everything, understanding everything Augustine is doing is really the incarnation. For Augustine, every heresy has its origin in a mistake about or in a denial of the incarnation, the fleshy incarnation of the Word. The Word made God who dwells amongst us is a key concept in everything that Augustine writes. Uh, you're also going to hear in this little section uh, how Augustine pairs up some concepts. He does this very frequently, uh, like victor and victim in this case, and priest and sacrifice. And you also will hear something that we've heard in these podcasts before, the theme of Christus Medicus. Christ is a physician. He's the physician of the soul. And what is ailing human beings and their spirit is described in terms of almost like a physical ailment that requires a doctor, requires the, the physician of the soul. And at the very end here of this piece, we have Eucharistic language. Uh, it's you know fascinating how you hear the the language of eating in here. And uh, he quotes Psalm twenty one, um, et laudant dominum et qui requirunt eum. This is this is important because uh, you can see the connection with the very end of the book with the very beginning of the Confessions in Confessions. Book one at paragraph one, number one, uh, where he quotes exactly the same psalm. And so you can see that he's put bookends around this section about books one to ten. Well, anyway, I'm kind of rambling. Let's get into uh, this little section from the second reading of the Office of Readings today. It's from book ten of St. Augustine's Confessions. Confessionum Libri Sancti Augustini Episcopi Verax mediator, quem secreta tua misericordia demonstrasti humilibus et misisti, 
ut eus exemplo etiam ipsam discerent humilitatem, mediator ille Dei hominum homo Christus Jesus, inter mortales peccatores et immortalem justum apparuit, mortalis cum hominibus, justus cum Deo, ut quoniam stipendium justitiae. The true mediator was he whom you revealed to humble men in your secret mercy, and whom you sent so they might learn that same humility by following his example. This was the mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who intervened between sinful mortals and the immortal just one, himself mortal like men, and, like God, just. Thus, since life and peace are the compensation for righteousness, he could, by a justice united with God, annul the death of sinners now justified, since he willed to share death with them. Good Father, how you loved us, sparing not your only Son, but delivering him up for us sinners. How you loved us, for whose sake he, thinking it no robbery to be equal with you, was made subject to death on the cross. He alone, free among the dead, had the power to lay down his life and the power to take it up again. For our sake he became in your sight both victor and victim. Victor, indeed, because he was victim. For our sake, too, he became before you both priest and sacrifice. Priest, indeed, because he was a sacrifice, changing us from slaves to sons by being your son and serving us. Rightly, then, have I firm hope that you will heal all my infirmities through him who sits at your right hand and intercedes for us. Otherwise, I would despair. For great and numerous are these infirmities of mine, great indeed and numerous, but your medicine is mightier. We might have thought your word remote from any union with man, and so have despaired of ourselves, if he had not become flesh and dwelt among us. Crushed by my sins and the weight of my misery, I had taken thought in my heart and contemplated flight into the desert. But you stopped me and gave me comfort with the words, Christ died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. Behold, Lord, I cast upon you my concern that I may live, and I shall meditate on the wonders of your law. You know my ignorance and my weakness. Teach me and heal me. Your only Son, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, redeemed me with his blood. Let not arrogant men speak evil of me. For I meditate on my ransom, and I eat it, and drink it, and try to share it with others. Though poor, I want to be filled with it in the company of those who eat and are filled, and they shall praise the Lord who seek him. Tushis imperitia meam et infirmitatem meam, doceme et saname, ille tuus unicus, 
in cor sunt omnes tesauri sapientiae et scientiae absconditi, redemit me sanguine suo. Non calumniantur mihi superbi, coniam cogito pretium meum, et manduco, et bibo, et erogo, et pauper cupio saturari ex eo inter illos qui edunt et saturantur, et laudant dominum, qui requirunt eum. That was a snippet from Book 10 of Augustine's Confessions. It's used as the second reading in the Office of Readings today. And I want to come back to a very important point. You heard in that the phrase uh, from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, that Christ died for all. And I think you know uh, that not very long ago, the prefect of the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments, His Eminence Francis Cardinal Lorenze, issued a letter to all the bishops' conferences stating that the Holy Father Pope Benedict had made a final decision that all the vernacular versions of the formula for consecration of the precious blood during Mass must accurately reflect the Latin words pro multis. And so the translations that are now in preparation will have to say that Christ died for many or for the many instead of saying, as we hear now in our translation, for all. Well, you know, Years ago it was, um, we heard for all men, but in the interests of inclusive language that was changed to for all. Now we're going to have to hear something like for many or for the many because that's what pro multis says in Latin. Now, there were a lot of people who were dead set against this, uh, translating it as for many, because if you say, you know, for many, it sounds like Christ didn't die for all. And of course, we know that he did. We know very clearly from 2 Corinthians that he did. He died, Christ died, for everyone who ever lived. The idea here, however, in for many, is that even though Christ died for all, not all would choose to accept the fruits of Christ's sacrifice. Only many would. You know, and many might be an awful lot, but it won't be all. Some will reject it. But in criticizing uh, this translation, for many or for the many, people refer back to the work of two scripture scholars, especially especially uh, the Lutheran, famous Lutheran scripture scholar, Joachim Jeremias, but also they, all, they also refer to the Jesuit Max Zerwick, who taught at the Gregorian for many years. But really, Joachim Jeremias is a key figure here. Uh, Jeremias, Lutheran, uh, wrote a, a dictionary article in a biblical dictionary back in the 1950s about the word, um, about these words um, for many, the ton polon. And uh, what he said right in the, in the article is that he wanted to avoid the offense of Catholic doctrine, this, because this sounded bad to him that in the consecration of the precious blood, you should say pro multis, because it makes it sound like, you know, Christ's 
sacrifice excluded a whole bunch of people by by Christ's own choice. Of course, that's not what the church teaches, but that's what Jeremias uh, was reacting to. And so he does this incredible, uh, brilliant philological fan dance uh, to make uh, the Greek words in scripture that the formula is based on mean something that Greek has never meant. He wanted to try to make the for the many mean for the all. And so to do this, he made a conjecture about Christ, what Christ might have said in Aramaic. Of course, we don't know what he, he said in Aramaic, but this was, uh, this was Euro, Joachim Eremius's, you know field of expertise. It was Aramaic, and he tried to reconstruct what Christ said. But he came up with a very different conclusion about uh, what Christ said in Aramaic than what we have in the Greek New Testament, which means effectively that Eremius was saying that the New Testament is wrong, that Scripture is wrong, Jeremias basically knew better than scripture what Christ said and therefore because uh, the the Latin in the Vulgate you know of St. Jerome translates the Greek and not Joachim Jeremias's conjectured Aramaic version uh, really everything everything is wrong somehow Jerome was wrong somehow the church has always been wrong all this time the Catholic Church basically got it wrong but in the uh, heady days of uh, liturgical reform after the council and all that, uh, well, this, especially and the influence of some, you know, uh, Protestant scholars who were helping, uh, helping shape things at the time. Well, uh, this argument basically won for the vernacular translations, and they began to say, you know, for all instead of for many. Now. Um, the Holy Father, however, Pope Benedict, has decided that we should stick with the Latin. And he explains uh, what, he is, what his reasoning is, uh, not at the time he made the decision as Pope, but years ago in a book uh, he wrote, which in its English title is God is Near Us. This is uh, Joseph Ratzinger's book, God is Near Us, the Eucharist, the Heart of Life. It was published in English by Ignatius Press in 2003. And uh, in that book, uh, the Holy Father takes up uh, three different points. He makes a, a very clear point that, yes, Jesus died to save all, and to deny that is not in any way uh, even Christian. And a second point is that God very lovingly leaves people free to reject salvation and some in fact do reject it so you know, the conclusion is that though Christ died for all not all will be saved and then we get to really I think what is the decisive argument in this and it's his third point he says and I quote the fact that in Hebrew the expression many would mean the same thing as all is not relevant to the question under consideration inasmuch as it is a question of translating not a Hebrew text here but a Latin text from the Roman liturgy which is directly related to a Greek text the New Testament the institution narratives in the New Testament are by no means simply a translation still less a mistaken translation of Isaiah Rather, they constitute an independent source. 
Now, what the Pope did here, what Cardinal Ratzinger did, is is he cut loose this kind of raft of both of emotion and conjecture that uh, Joachim Jeremias had built up. There's no question that you know when people hear this, you know, for all and for many, that it, it provokes a lot of emotions in people. You know, certainly it did in Joachim Jeremias. Uh, it provokes strong emotions. You know, the idea that Christ, you know, it makes it sound like Christ didn't die for everyone and that maybe, you know, Catholics think, you know, that they're exclusively saved and everybody else isn't. I mean, that's that's what is functioning in the emotional dimension of this debate. But then what we have to also consider is this whole conjecture issue that you know we can't just we can't just change what the Greek New Testament says or what the Latin translation in the Vulgate is or much less the mass based on a conjecture about what Jesus might have said in Aramaic which we have absolutely really no secure idea about so we have to get rid of the emotion and we have to get rid of the the conjecture and that's what Ratzinger was saying in that passage and you know whether Jeremias uh, or other scholars are right or wrong about what Jesus might have said in Aramaic, or you know what you know Isaiah chapter fifty three might have said, which is another which is the big you know kind of point of reference in the Old Testament for their arguments. And I think those arguments really are tenuous at best. That all of that is entirely beside the point. Uh, for these reasons, first of all, we are not Protestants. We don't approach doctrine from a standpoint of sola scriptura, scripture alone. We have other sources. And for example, the, the liturgy, the liturgy, as Ratzinger explained, constitutes its own independent source. That we're not just translating scripture when we do liturgy, but the liturgy expresses something that the church understands about what is related to us in scripture and so we have this you know joining of different scripture passages to make a phrase which is used as the formula of consecration and this reflects something about the church's teach understanding of what christ was doing at the last supper it's not merely translation of scripture a second point is that we are not uh, we are not historical critics when we approach the consecration of Mass. We are believing Catholics, and therefore we believe what the Church teaches uh, when we hear those words. We don't just open up our Bibles and, you know, look at this, or no, we, and, and we don't tear it apart, you know, like as if we're, you know, historical critical scripture scholars, and really remember what uh, Joseph Ratzinger, which Pope Benedict wrote in his new book, uh, Jesus of Nazareth about the use and abuse of the historical critical method. I mean, it's very useful and it's absolutely necessary when we try to uh, understand things from Scripture, but we can't destroy the Church's teaching and we can't destroy the, the, the Scriptures themselves by delving into them in such a way that we deconstruct them so that they don't mean anything anymore or that they try, mean something in contradiction with the church's teaching. Remember, we cannot set up scripture against the teachings of the church. And finally, the Missali Romanum is in Latin. It's not in Aramaic, it's not in Hebrew, it's not in Greek, it is in Latin. And so when we make a translation 
of the Missali Romanum, we have to translate the Latin of the Missali Romanum, and not some other language, not the Greek of the New Testament, and not some certainly not some conjecture about uh, what Jesus might have said in Aramaic, and not the Hebrew uh, of the Old Testament, which might somehow have been you know, a, a point of reference for the, the scripture verses from the New Testament that were used when they put together the, you know, when the, when the, the formula of consecration of the, of the precious blood grew out of the faith of the people. Now, this whole business about pitting scripture against the church's faith, the church's doctrine about what happens at the consecration and what the fruits of the consecration are, what the fruits of Christ's sacrifice were, uh, is something that we really need to dig into. And uh, we have to respect the church's teaching uh, in its wholeness, uh, in its integrity, when we consider uh, the translation formula, when we say, for many instead of for all. What does this mean? Remember that you know a priest can stand up in his pulpit and he, he can explain this to his people. It's absolutely necessary that priests explain what is going on so that we have a proper catechism, uh, you know, formation in our faith, but also our liturgical formation must be shored up because these questions are going to arise in people's minds when suddenly they start hearing a new formula of consecration. Now, the church explored this issue already in the old Roman catechism, the Catechism of the Council of Trent. Remember, that was the last official catechism before you know the Catechism of the Catholic Church was released 500 years later. Right, The Catechism uh, of, of the Council of Trent was issued at the order of that council, and it was intended to be a practical guide and a helpful tool for preaching to people about the faith. And so... You know, what we believe now, uh, even though the circumstances and manner of teaching have to change over the centuries, the substance of our teaching does not change. And so if we're going to do something now, it can't directly contradict what the Roman Catechism had to say. This was a point I made once in a meeting I had with His Eminence Cardinal Lorenzo when we were talking about this very this very point of the, the formula, the translation of the formula for the consecration of the precious blood. You know, he was making his points and I was making my points and I brought up the issue of what the Roman Catechism had said and it was something that he hadn't heard before and so we had this discussion about it. And uh, I wrote it up in an article in The Wanderer, as a matter of fact, and I pulled this all out. I pulled out the relevant section from the Catechism, the Roman Catechism, it's really the full title is the Catechismus Romanus, seu Catechismus ex decreto concilii tridentini ad parocos, ad parocos for pastors. So this catechism was was supposed to be a tool for teaching, and it's still useful today because it explains the difference between for all and for many, and why the Church cannot say for all. So let's hear something, uh, let's hear the section from the Roman Catechism. Hear what it says. The words which are added for you and for many, pro vobis et pro multis, were taken some of them from Matthew, 26 verse 28, and some from Luke, 22 verse 20. 
which, however, Holy Church, instructed by the Spirit of God, joined together. They serve to make clear the fruit and the benefit of the Passion. For if we examine its value, virtutem, it will have to be admitted that blood was poured out by the Savior for the salvation of all. Pro omnium salute sanguinem a salvatore effusum esse. But if we ponder the fruit which men, homines, will obtain from it, we easily understand that its benefit comes not to all, but only to many. Non ad omnes, sed ad multos tantum eam utilitatem pervenisse. Therefore, when he said pro vobis, he meant either those who were present or those chosen, delectos, from the people of the Jews, such as the disciples were, Judas accepted, with whom he was then speaking. But when he added pro multis, he wanted that there be understood the rest of those chosen, electos, from the Jews or from the Gentiles. Rightly, therefore, did it happen that for all, pro universis, were not said, since at this point the discourse was only about the fruits of the Passion, which bears the fruit of salvation only for the elect, delectis. And this is what the words of the Apostle aim at. Christ was offered up once in order to remove the sins of many. Ad multorum exhaurienda peccata. And what, according to John, the Lord says, I pray for them, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you gave to me, for they are yours. John 17, verse 9. Many other mysteries, plura mysteria, lie hidden in the words of this consecration, which pastors, God helping, will easily come to comprehend for themselves by constant meditation upon divine things and by diligent study. Now one of the interesting things from that section of the Catechism of the Council of Trent is uh, the description of how Christ in adding pro multis uh, for the many is expanding the fruits of his salvation beyond the Jews. Remember he says, for you, and Jesus is talking to his disciples who were right there, who were all Jews, and then he expands the fruits of his salvation, not just to those Jews, or all of the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, Promultis, expands it beyond the Jews, also to all the peoples of the world. But the fruits of those salvation, uh, of his salvation, therefore are going to be extended not only to the Jews, but to the elect of the Jews and to the elect of the Gentiles. Not automatically to all the Jews and all the Gentiles, though that is why he's dying. He's dying for everyone, not just Jews, but also for the Gentiles. But the elect of the Jews and the Gentiles will receive the fruits of his passion. It's only for the elect. And the elect might be a vast number, but it's not going to be everyone. Not every person who ever lived. Some will 
refuse the fruits of Christ's sacrifice. This is why Holy Church cannot say pro vobis et pro universis or pro omnibus because that is not what uh, actually happens with the fruits of Christ's sacrifice. The church cannot say for all. It has to say for many. And this is very important for anyone also interested in the differences between the newer form of Mass in the Roman Rite and the older form of Mass. Uh, Some people who preferred the older form of Mass exclusively uh, shunned the newer form of Mass, the Novus Ordo, especially when it was celebrated in English, because they thought that the inaccuracy of, inaccurate translation of promultis made the consecration invalid. Now, you know, their instincts were good in this, because uh, you know, everybody knows that we really should have accurate translations of the prayers for Mass. You know, look, if, we, if the Eucharist not only the Blessed Sacrament, but also the celebration of the Eucharist is the source and summit of our lives as Catholics, then the words of our prayers and Holy Mass are extremely important. And so their instincts were very good. Their concerns were excellent when they heard that inaccurate translation. But what happened is that they they went too far in their conclusions that therefore, uh, because it was inaccurate, the consecration was invalid if we said for you and for all as the present uh, English translation says saying that Christ died for all is not in itself theologically inaccurate it's absolutely true what was inaccurate was the translation in that formula and it wasn't in itself enough to invalidate the consecration now of course when the new translation comes out and it's being prepared now and the Holy Father has already made the decision about the translation of the formula for the consecration. Uh, None of this is going to be a problem anymore. At least people won't be able to say, well, you know, it's an inaccurate translation, and therefore the the consecration is invalid. They won't be able to pin it on that anymore. I'm sure they'll find some other reason, but that won't be the issue anymore. But you see, all of this really points to the fact that our translations are so very, very important to us, whether they are merely quotes of church figures uh, in the press, or the writings of the fathers of the church, or theologians, or documents of the Holy See, and discourses and letters and documents of the Holy Father, or the prayers of the liturgy with which we have contact every Sunday, and hopefully even more often than that. We really need to know what things really say if we are going to derive the greatest benefit from them. With that, we're going to wrap this podcast up. Now, the last couple podcasts uh, I made directly pertained to questions or puzzling things uh, that might arise from the provisions of the new motu proprio to do restrict the older form of mass. You know, there might be some things about the older mass that that leave people scratching their head, and we've been drilling down into those questions, especially through the writings of Joseph Ratzinger our present uh, wonderful Pope now gloriously reigning as Pope Benedict XVI. 
And uh, today I wanted to just, you know, change gears a little bit, go back to uh, the, the fathers of the church. But we nevertheless uh, did dig into something pertaining to the Mass and the Old Mass and the New Mass question because some people deny that the consecration of the precious blood in the New Mass in the vernacular is valid because of that mistranslation that we've been looking at. But they also have a problem with pulling Mysterium Fide, Mystery of Faith, out of the formula of consecration, putting it after so that it invites that acclamation from the people that everybody knows here, the mystery of faith. Anyway, we can dig into that in another podcast. Looking for yesterday Most any day I spend with you um, You can leave me voicemail and I look forward to getting it from you. You can go down to the bottom of the left sidebar on the blog, wdtprs.com, whiskey delta tango, papa romeo sierra.com. What does the prayer really say? Uh, you can click on there, and if you have a microphone attached to your computer, you can send me a voicemail, and if it's good and pertinent to what we're doing here, I might include it in one of these podcasts. I'd, I'd enjoy doing that uh, more often than has, uh, than has come up. Send me voicemail. You can also record it on your computer and send it to me as an email attachment. And you can reach me at frz at wdtprs.com. Whiskey Delta Tango, Papa Romeo Sierra. I'll be back with you again real soon in another podcast. I hope you and yours are happy and thriving. Kindly say a prayer for me as I will for you. Bye-bye now. Looking for yesterday. Uh,